Hello and welcome to this episode of Thrill of the Hill. My name is Alec Perry and this is the Farm Advisory Service series where we discuss the hot topics impacting the farmed upland environment. In today's episode of Thrill of the Hill, I'm joined by AgriCalc's Dr. Rachel Ramsey for a discussion on soil carbon and the role of soils in tackling climate change, including misconceptions about soil carbon, how to influence atmospheric carbon capture, carbon credits, and exciting new developments to expect going forward. Hi there, Rachel. How are you doing? Hi, Alex. How are you? How are you keeping? I'm very well, thanks. Um, thanks for coming on this episode of Thrill of the Hill. We're, uh, we're really excited to have you on. You're very welcome. I'm delighted to be here today. Rachel, for the listeners for Thrill of the Hill, can you just give yourself a bit of an introduction, discuss what your role is within SAC Consulting and the AgriCalc team and talk a little bit about your, your soil background? Um, so hi everyone, uh, my name is Dr. Rachel Ramsey, I'm Head of Science and Research for AgriCalc, uh, which some of you may have came across. Um, if you haven't, AgriCalc is an online carbon and footprint tool, um, which was actually designed by SREC and SAC. Um, I've actually been in the AgriCalc team now for almost a year, which is absolutely flown in. Um, in terms of my back ground um, for the last almost 10 years I've been working in the area of, of soil biogeochemistry and sort of wider ecosystem services on farms. Um, I call myself an agroecologist rightly or wrongly. Um, in terms of uh, what I'm working on at the minute um, this is a very busy and exciting time for AgriCalc. Um, we're moving to a cloud-based platform before Christmas um, developing lots of new modules and data integration capability and also that we tend to keep involved in various academic research and consultancy projects right across the industry and supply chain. So everything from theoretical research right through to practical outcomes and guidance for farmers. So all good stuff. Rachel, one of the reasons that I really wanted to get you on the podcast this afternoon was it, it's been two years now since we had Dr. Bill Crooks on discussing soil, um, but that was very much from the perspective of improvement and management and the kind of techniques available to, to farmers. There has been a lot of interest recently in soil and the discussion around soil carbon sequestration and storage. So some of our listeners might already know this, but I was wondering if you could get us kicked off with a kind of brief explanation of the carbon cycle on farm. Oof. Um, I want to draw a wee diagram for that, Alex, but I'll try my best to explain. Um, so on farms, uh, the carbon cycle is a result of different fluxes and process transfers. Um, these include photosynthesis, which is, um, you know, the uptake of atmospheric carbon dioxide by plants, crops, so your trees on farm, your crops, your grassland. Um, respiration loss, which is carbon released by carbon dioxide by those same plants and crops and also by organisms in soil. Um, biomass carbon removal, whether that's by grazing livestock or by, by cutting um, or maybe even burning. Inputs from purchased fertilizers and feeds and carbon loss as enteric methane from livestock. Inputs from grazing returns, uh, biomass residues, import organic fertilizers and also inputs from compost or other carbon rich soil amendments. 
and I probably missed something out there. But I think I think that's pretty much the carbon cycle on farm. And so when we're talking about soil carbon sequestration, what are we actually referring to? A lot of our clients will argue that their grassland is already taking up um, atmospheric carbon and, and locking carbon into soils. But on a technical level, what is soil carbon sequestration? I think we do need to be a wee bit careful, Alex, about, about the terms used. You know, there has been, as you said, there, there's been a lot of discussion recently about the importance of soil carbon sequestration in terms of carbon removals and net zero. Um, technically speaking, soil carbon sequestration means absorption and storage of carbon within the soil so that it's not immediately re-emitted. And, and this can be over years, decades, or even centuries. But the thing is, there are some caveats to soil carbon sequestration. And that is that it doesn't potentially last forever, it's finite. It can also be reversible and it can actually be quite difficult to measure. What is it about soil carbon sequestration, Rachel, that you think makes it really difficult to quantify? And do you think we're at the point now where we can confidently say that we're able to do that? Um, soil carbon measurements, it could be a wee bit tricky, um, mainly as changes can happen very slowly. And actually, the actual measurements themselves can be quite expensive. Um, the, I don't want to say the problem, but the, the issue with measuring soil carbon content um, is that it's quite variable, um, not just across different soil types or climate regions, but it also varies quite a lot, especially within the field, but also vertically within the soil profile. Um, so to measure it accurately, um, we need to account for that in-field and in-profile variation. It's really important to have a robust sampling methodology. So in a robust sampling methodology, you'll have a W-walk approach, um, multiple samples for soil bulk density, which is really important. And also what is crucial is to sample to the right depth, um, 30 centimetres, which is um, traditional ply depth and is recommended by the IPCC. Um, in terms of whether at the stage of really accurate quantification. Um, luckily, um, there's some clever folks about in the UK and, and Scotland currently here um, in the business of developing robust techniques and measurement methodologies to measure, verify, and monitor soil organic carbon stocks accurately and actually much more cheaply than has ever been done before. Um, so folks like AgriCarbon um, have developed a really robust methodology to measure carbon on farm and also um, they actually adhere to the development, um, also they adhere to the development soil carbon code framework. Um, so their measurement uh, methodology is extremely robust, also adheres to IPCC guidance. And Rachel, can you just explain what the interactions are between soil carbon testing, sampling analysis at farm level and what happens when you use a carbon calculator that discusses your soil carbon sequestration? Mm -hmm. So um, soil testing is a really valuable input for um, a carbon calculator. Um, if we can get an actual measured value from the farm that has been carried out 
to robust methodology, you know, that has followed IPCC guidance. The soil sample has been taken to 30 centimetres depth. It's been carried out robustly. There's an adequate amount of soil bulk density samples in order to generate that soil organic carbon stock. Um, that's a fantastic resource to feed into a carbon calculator. I'll use AgriCalc here as an example in that um, it just adds that additional level of granularity of detail. For example, if you are on a farm and you have an actual measured soil test result, you can input that directly into AgriCalc. Whereas if you don't, um, it currently uses a postcode lookup system. And as we all know, the postcode districts can be larger or smaller sometimes. So really um, just getting that soil test result adds that additional degree of accuracy. And I will say as well, you know, um, if we look at sort of current government incentives, you know, we've the, the, the PSF and the National Soil Test Scheme incentives at the minute, you know, both for soil tests and then for carbon audits. Um, if we think as well, you know, there's very much a focus on carbon at the minute, but equally those soil tests will also give you values for your nitrogen, your phosphorus, your pH, and those things are such a valuable resource as well, um, you know, in terms of nutrient planning, nutrient budgeting, and even in terms of your soil pH, you know, I think um, I read a statistic the other day and I and, uh, can't just remember the value off the top of my head, but it was something, uh, you know, scary, like over 50% of farms in, in Scotland and probably across the wider UK are actually suboptimal in terms of pH. So, um there are multiple benefits of soil testing which go beyond a carbon audit. And Rachel, I think you alluded to different tools for measuring carbon. Uh, I wanted to ask you about um, woodland carbon sequestration and things like hedgerow carbon sequestration. And how do they differ from the soil carbon story? It's mm -hmm. a good question, Alex. Um, so carbon... Um, is locked up by by trees, um, you know, woodland, hedgerows, by photosynthesis into what we call the living biomass. Um, whilst in soil-based carbon sequestration, um, carbon is sequestered and, and stored biologically in either the, the living microbial biomass, um, or it can be chemically bonded to soil particles, or it can even be physically protected within clumps of soil that we call soil aggregates. Um, so as you can imagine, there's there's different time frames involved here as well with, with the biomass, the living biomass that the living biomass, um, that time frame is over the, the life cycle of the plant, whether that is a shorter lived plant, such as uh, grass or a crop like barley, or um, a longer lived plant like a tree. Whereas in terms of the soil, that carbon can be locked up for days, weeks, decades, centuries, even millennia. Um, another interesting note is that currently the IPCC considers that trees do not actively sequester carbon after 30 years of age, whereas, say, for example, permanent grassland has a cutoff at 20 years of age. Rachel, clients who have been using AgriCalc for some time now have been asking about grassland carbon capture. Uh, and it's great that we can encode it, 
but from your perspective, will it fundamentally change the climate change message that we should be conveying to our farmers? Yeah, it's it's fantastic to be honest. Um, I think it's really really useful to have an indication of where you are in terms of your soil organic carbon stocks, and that's why I think the PSF funding is is brilliant as it you know supporting farmers to both baseline their soil organic carbon stocks, but also carbon audit their farm. Um, additionally, and I would say crucially, um, if we don't measure we can't monitor changes either um i will say though um we sort of alluded to this wee bit earlier i think alex but um soil carbon sequestration and isolation it's definitely not a silver bullet to achieve net zero um you know by all means um look at practices that increase your soil organic carbon stocks and the potential of your soil to store carbon but also what is equally important is to reduce your emissions across a whole farm enterprise in terms of both resource efficiencies and savings. Um, for example, can you reduce the amount of purchased mineral fertilizer on your farm? Or are you using more fuel than other similar enterprises in your sector? I think, Rachel, when we're talking about soil carbon sequestration, there are two kind of bands of clients who are particularly excited about it. There are those who are quite extensive. They've got a lot of ground and a lot of natural capital reserves in terms of their soil, and they see this as a great avenue to achieving net zero emissions. And then you have the kind of more intensive farmers, particularly your dairy clients, who have high emissions and see this as an avenue of, of cutting their, uh, their total emissions. What would you say to both camps um, in this instance? I will say um, that, you know, increasing your soil carbon sequestration potential is really, really important. Um, there are practices that you can consider and, and look at, you know, that will improve your soil carbon sequestration potential. Um, for example, um, you know, in terms of a carbon audit in, in agri-calc right now, we consider several factors um, that will actually, you know, output um, the soil carbon sequestration figure in the audit. And so the, these factor things, not just like what we call your rest in soil carbon stock. Um, for example, as I mentioned earlier from, you know, a soil test measurement. Um, but we also consider the impact that, you know, things like land use, land management and input factors have on that um, soil carbon stock value. Um, so practices to potentially increase um, your soil carbon sequestration potential, you know, that's um, your grassland management practices, how you utilize your forage, your stock and density, um, your your reseeding practices, whether you're uh, you know traditional mold board plying or min or conservation tillage, um, the length of time um, that a land use has essentially been in that land use, and and then you have other factors like inherent soil type. Um, so, you know. <sighs> basically any measure that reduces soil disturbance um, or you can also look at measures um, 
like uh, plant and cover crops if you're an arable farmer if you're a dairy farmer high intensity you can look at managing your livestock grazing applying compost as well you know um, organic rich compost um, essentially anything that improves your soil health and the soil microbial community um, can potentially sequester carbon I think that is is a healthy soil is one that can maintain or sequester carbon and is also more resilient um, against climate change. Um, again, though, I will say, yes, there's huge potential in soil carbon sequestration for, for all enterprises. And folks should be trying to do their best, um, I guess, to increase soil carbon, but equally, um, you know, across the whole farm enterprise, there are other um, you know, emissions hotspots as well um, that can be targeted in conjunction with increasing your cell carbon sequestration. So, Rachel, I'm a farmer, hypothetically, and I've just had my agri-calc results read out to me and I want to understand my soil carbon sequestration figure a little better. How should I go about interpreting that figure? And hypothetically, what kind of result am I looking for when I see my, my carbon audit results? Mm-hmm. Um, so as I mentioned there, AgriCalc considers several factors. Um, so if you want to, if you can imagine it's almost like an, a, an equation, a way to simplify it. Um, so your existing soil organic carbon stock, which is then um, influenced by your land use, um, whether that is grassland, arable. Um, and then if you imagine that is also impacted by your land management. Um, so say your tillage practices, um, what type of of even slurry spreader you use, whether you use, say, dribble bar versus broadcast, and also input, so um, your inorganic and organic fertilizers. Um, and also how you graze the land, um, whether you mob graze, whether you do conventional grazing, um, all these different factors directly influence um, what we term in your agricalc audit is a soil carbon sequestration potential figure so when you look at your agri-calc um, audit and it gives you a figure for soil carbon sequestration that is a potential figure um, if your value is positive that suggests that the practices that you currently use on your farm are actually um, a potential your, your soil is potentially a carbon source um, if your value is negative, then your practices are probably mean that your soil is acting as a carbon sink. So in an ideal world, we would want a lovely negative value there in your agri-calc audit. And Rachel, I have seen this happen with a couple of carbon audits. What does it mean when it comes back and tells you that your soil carbon rate is zero? Ah, yeah, it just it just simply means that your practices um, that essentially the the practices um, on farm mean that you're in equilibrium. So you're that you have no change in carbon stock, if that makes sense, Alex. It just means that you have no you've no flux whatsoever based on your current management practices that you won't accumulate 
carbon, but equally you won't decrease your solar carbon, if that makes sense. Yeah, so presumably, depending on the management options that I implement off the back of my carbon audit, I could change that and I could become a sink um, or an emitter of carbon. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, so um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, soil carbon sequestration isn't, isn't permanent. Um, it can be reversible. Um, so the practices that you do carry out on farm can very much cause you to become a carbon sink or a carbon source. Um, ideally, we want carbon sinks. Um, so we want to increase the rate of our soil carbon sequestration. Um, so you want to do things like reduce your soil disturbance. So look at minimum or low till, um, over sowing. Um, perhaps um, you want to look at changing rotation, such as planting cover crops. Um, managing your livestock grazing differently. Um, I know there's some folks who are looking at mob grazing actually and potential benefit to soil carbon sequestration and things like um, adding organic manures or compost. Um, the good thing is, Alex, that a lot of the measures that improve soil health in a soil microbial community, um, they actually go hand in hand with sequestering more carbon. Um, so again, it's come back to that thing, you know, a healthy soil is is one that's sequestering carbon ideally as well. And Rachel, you've kind of touched on it there, but can can you just discuss what impact the kind of regenerative agricultural practices that we're seeing on the increase are having an impact, uh, how they're having an impact on your, your carbon sequestration? Yeah, there's there's definitely a, a lot of discussion um, and chat recently about um, regenerative agriculture. I think um, even the definition of regenerative agriculture can be a wee bit woolly. Um, but generally speaking, um, they're practices that typically shift the focus away from sort of very production centric to more holistic. I'm, I'm going to call it, Alex, like an ecosystem service approach. Um so typically promoting practices that increase, you know, on-farm biodiversity, soil health, uh, soil fertility, soil quality, and also promote soil carbon sequestration. And um, we've touched on some of these um, earlier, but these practices are, are typically things like, you know, conservation tillage, cover crops, uh, composting, and lower um, artificial fertilizer inputs, um, increased crop diversity, you know, things like multi-species swards and grasslands and all, all with ultimately a focus in rebuilding your soil organic matter. And all these things, of course, are beneficial for soil carbon sequestration. And Rachel, one of the things that will be particularly interesting to the farmer clients who are listening to this if we're in a position now where we can measure our soil carbon sequestration and we know what our total emissions are, we can identify the businesses which are carbon sinks. And a lot of farmers will be interested in whether or not they can be paid for that as a service. I'm just wondering, where are we in terms of the development of a, a grassland carbon code and do you think we'll ever get to the point where farmers are paid for their soil carbon capture i think so alex yeah um 
it's it's hard to know at the moment um, the direction of travel of of the of the government, to be honest. Um, but there may well be in the near future. Um, you know, farmers may well be be paid if if they're essentially a carbon sink. Um, in terms of a grassland carbon code, um, I know we're in the development stages still of um, a soil uh, carbon code. Um, I do see potentially um, a grassland carbon code or even an arable carbon code coming down the line. Um, you know, we, we already have a peatland, a woodland, a soil carbon. I think we have a salt marsh code under development. And just this morning, actually, um, a colleague of mine sent an email that there's actually moves now to develop an agroforestry carbon code. Um, so I can definitely see maybe down the line a grassland carbon code for different grassland habitats. Um, the question, I think, and um, this is something that has come up a lot in conversation with, with myself and other colleagues, is... is um, if, if I was a farmer, I think right now, um, and if I was sitting, say, my carbon audit said I was beyond net zero, so I could potentially sell carbon credits, I think I would be very reticent to do so. Um, I think there hasn't been that much guidance yet from the government. Um, and I certainly, personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be tempted to sell any carbon credits just yet, especially outside of the agricultural supply chain. That's just my my humble thoughts at the minute, Alex. And Rachel, in terms of Scottish government and where we see things going, Scottish government have indicated that they want to see transformational change in Scottish agriculture. I just wanted to get a sense from you. What does transformational change mean for you in terms of soil carbon and the soil carbon story? And how do you think that all play out at farm level? To me, Alex, transformational change, um, it's, it's about taking a more holistic view of agriculture. I think sometimes... Um, we're in a wee bit of danger of focusing too much on soil carbon um, when really um, we have to also consider all the other um, things that and you know and pressures that is facing the agricultural industry you know we've we've rising costs we've not just fertilizer fuel but we also have other um, legislative drivers you know the water frameworks directive hasn't went away um, with ammonia emissions. Um, so I think it's, you know, about driving real change within the industry and not, not to sound cheesy, but I think um, one of the, the main things that could drive that, and it's, it's not necessarily coming from the top down in terms of government, but it's more sort of like, a, no pun intended, but a grassroots level from, from the farmers upwards. Um, you know, I see a real benefit in literally farmers talking to other farmers, as obvious as that sounds. Um, it's so, so important. And, you know, we, we do learn from each other. And I've seen that in action um, at farmer events and open days. And we touched earlier in regenerative agricultural practices, um, some of which, you know, we're going back to almost pre-war days in terms of like multi-species swords, where we're essentially having to learn 
uh, skills from decades ago, like how to manage multi-species swords successfully. And I've seen guys, um, you know, sit and trade in stories about eliminating weeds and when to sow your plantain and things like that over, over, over a bite, you know, a nice roast dinner at lunchtime. And it's, um, I think that's where the, the power is as well. You know, it's like an empowering farmers and, and, you know, getting them to drive that change because um, in a lot of ways, you know, they're investing in, in their future and their business and building a more sustainable and resilient business as well. That's great, Rachel. Thanks very much. Um, I asked this last question to absolutely everybody who comes on the podcast. It's been really great to have you on. Um, I, I wish we could sit and talk for longer. Um, but uh, I was wondering, is there any particular new development with AgriCalc, anything innovative or exciting that you think that uh, farmers, crofters, um, listeners to the podcast should be made aware of? Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that are really exciting, Alex, that will be added to AgriCalc in the coming months. Um, as I mentioned at the very beginning um, of our chat today, that AgriCalc is actually moving to a cloud-based platform. Uh, later on this year, just before Christmas. Um, as part of that, we'll be having a nice new interface, which will be good. But equally, we have some uh, bolstered content, so to speak, as well. Um, so, for example, the, um, the current version of AgriCalc only considers mineral soils. And the new platform that will be launched will also... Um, you know, be incorporating peaty soils as well. So that that's brilliant and it's very much needed as well. So that means if you have any um, organic or peaty soils at all on your farm, you now have an, an option to, to, to tick that box, so to speak. Um, additionally, um, we'll be looking at releasing modules that look at ammonia. Um, we're also looking at biodiversity and natural capital um, additions into agriculture as well and um, just just lots of exciting developments so you know what watch the agriculture space in the coming months and as, as well Alex I've just uh, some other um, sort of exciting things I've came across recently um, uh, two, two things actually um, when when you mention it, and that I've actually came across in the past the past week, actually, um, the first one is uh, what I'm calling super supercharged slurry. So, I was reading an article the other day. I think it was maybe in the Farmers Weekly that there's a Norwegian company. I think it's called uh, N2 Agri, um, where they're essentially passing slurry digestate through a plasma reactor and using electricity and air to enhance the essentially it's fertilizer nitrogen content um which is pretty cool um but uh apparently there are trials ongoing at the moment where they're looking at agronomic performance and also emissions of greenhouse gases and ammonia um but anyway it's um it's, it sounds sounds pretty cool so I'm, I'm watching i'm watching that research space so to speak the other one slightly slightly icky perhaps um is frass um, I don't know if you've came across Frass, Alex, yet. Um, um, so Frass is essentially insect waste or excreta. Um, I was actually chatting to a colleague in SRUC about this last the other week. So, you know, insect excreta, dead eggs, dead insects, you name it, all in there. 
Um, but in all seriousness, it's, it's reported to be, you know, high in organic matter and the chitin content is reported to have anti-insecticide and anti-pathogen properties. Um, the insects are being bred for the aquaculture industry in Scotland and it's definitely a sector that's growing quite a lot. And the waste is already used in horticulture. Um, so they're, they're kind of folks that are looking to see if it could be a new bulky organic fertilizer for the agriculture industry so maybe another one to consider maybe and how do you see those developments impacting farmers on the day-to-day basis i mean could these be alternatives to inorganic fertilizers that we're currently using yeah i think certainly you know um the insect waste it's tying into you know, this drive towards a circular bioeconomy, um, recycling waste and reduced reliance in inorganic fertilizers. Um, so certainly, you know, all things that are potentially beneficial, not just in terms of environmental impact, but also um, overall farm carbon footprint. Um, and um the, again, the, the N2 Agri, it's just an electrified slurry. You've heard it all, haven't you? Um, but <laughs> it's, um, it's again, you know, if you're enhancing your slurry and you have a targeted application, again, it's tying back into the importance of soil testing, Alex, as well. So it's not just a value for carbon you're getting, you're also getting your MPK as well. So um, if you have an enhanced fertilizer, whether that be organic or inorganic, um, you know, you're applying it to soil that you know exactly what levels you have. And also you have, hopefully, you've measured your slurry as well. So um, target application. So all good. Great. Well, I look forward to having you back on the podcast to discuss both of those topics at a later date. <laughs> thank you very much, Alex. Um, and thank, thank you very much for having me today. It's been, been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, no, in, in all seriousness, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope the listeners will take something from it. But on behalf of the Farm Advisory Service, um, thank you very much. Rachel, can you just give us an overview of where people can find you? How can people get in touch with you? And uh, and yeah, that, that'll be us. Um, so you can find me at... Um SAC. So my email address is rachelramsey at sac.co.uk. Um, and if anyone has any questions or wants to have a chat about anything from agri-calc to insect waste, please drop, drop me an email. Delighted to have a chat. Rachel Ramsey, thanks very much. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Thrill the Hill. If you enjoyed listening, please like, subscribe and follow this podcast. Leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all our details at the bottom of our show notes below. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.